Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week 15 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. If you're listening to this, it means you survived 40-3 to on Sunday, the most lopsided loss in the Adam Gase era, and that's really saying something. I know, I know, I get it. You're happy that the Jets lost because you're thinking about Trevor Lawrence. But it's my job to be critical, and I'm going to do that in a second. But first, I'd like to thank you for joining us this week at Flight Deck. In the second quarter, we're going to have a conversation with John Clayton, the professor. Quite simply, one of the most knowledgeable people I know on the NFL. I think you're going to enjoy that. And we're also going to talk, we're going to talk about Jets, uh, Seahawks, some Sam, Sam Darnold, the draft, free agency, and some interesting coaching candidates for the Jets. But for now, I've got a couple of things I want to get off my chest. I guess the story of the week is Sam Darnold. He had another lackluster performance on Sunday, although I don't think it was as bad as some people are making it out to be. He really had no help in this game. There were a couple of drop passes. There was no running game, and the pass protection was poor. In fact, according to ESPN stats, he was pressured on 47% of his dropbacks. Pretty much one out of every two dropbacks, he was facing pressure. But yet, I think this is kind of an interesting comparison. Sam Darnold and Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback, were the two most pressured quarterbacks in Week 14. Josh Allen was at 46%, and yet he threw over 200 yards, two touchdowns, and they had a big, big win over the Steelers. Now people are ready to write songs about him. You know, he's an MVP candidate. You know, he's he's the love of Buffalo, and he's playing really, really well in his third season. So all the credit to Josh Allen, but it just goes to show the subtle differences in playing the quarterback position. Two guys drafted the same year, both under the same amount of pressure in the game. Allen made some plays. Now, he had a better supporting cast, there's no doubt about it. Darnold's supporting cast, not as good as Buffalo, but yet... There's a quarterback who's making plays, making winning plays. Um, Make no mistake, it wasn't a great game by Josh Allen. He did have an interception, and I think he averaged less than six yards per attempt. But winning plays against a quality opponent, and his team is leading the division. Darnold, I I mean, I hate to say it, but barring something unforeseen, I think he's going to be replaced by a high draft pick in April. I mean, that's just the reality. I mean, the Jets have clinched a top three pick. We know that. More than likely, they'll be picking one or two. Chances are it'll be one. I think the chances are about 75% now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, But Darnold, he's not giving Joe Douglas any evidence to keep him. You know, where's the case for Darnold? He's not making it. I mean, there's a new coach who's going to come in and have some say here. So that'll be a big part of the equation. But how do you keep... How do you justify keeping the 32nd ranked quarterback over the top prospect in close to a decade? You know, it's it's just it's really hard to justify that. Now, I'm not so sure anything's going to change over the next three weeks. And now the Jets go to the Los Angeles Rams this week, only the number one ranked defense in the league. And I think this is interesting because this is Sam Darnold's first game in Los Angeles, his hometown. First game there since he was uh, uh, playing at USC, November of 17. It was the USC-UCLA game at the Coliseum. It was his last game in LA. And I was there. 
I covered the game because it featured the two top prospects we thought at the time and, and Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. The place was crawling with NFL scouts. I think I counted over 30 that night. And the Jets GM was there, Mike McCagnan. And he actually sat in the crowd. Unlike most scouts who sit in the press block, he likes to be in the crowd close to the field. He actually buys used to buy tickets off a of StubHub, believe it or not. But he did come up to the press box in the fourth quarter, and he sat next to me, and we had a good conversation about the quarterbacks, mostly uh, Rosen and Darnold. And at one point, Rosen just made an absolute great pass. He just dropped a dime, I think about 40 yards downfield. And I looked at Mike, and he kind of had this really impressed look on his face. So I'm thinking... Josh Rosen, maybe for the Jets. But, you know, the more I talked with him, the more I got the impression that he was really smitten with Sam Darnold. It was just the, the intangibles he talked about, the presence. There seemed to be an aura around Darnold that night. And, of course, his team won, which is the most important thing. Um, but, you know, he had that aura, that just that presence. And now he goes back to L.A. on Sunday, a different player. I mean, that aura is gone. He's just another NFL player fighting for his future. Now, on Monday, he came out and said he wants to be a Jet for life, said he's confident in his abilities, sees himself as a long-term solution. All the things you would expect a player in his position to say. But the sad and disappointing thing is that, uh, you know, that is not the case. The reality is he likely will be replaced. And his old friend, Josh Allen, is thriving in Buffalo. They're thinking Super Bowl on Buffalo. It just goes to show the quarterback evaluation situation is so nuanced. You know, it's so dependent on scheme and supporting cast and stability. And Sam Darnold hasn't had any of that in three years, but he also hasn't helped himself back after this. All right, welcome back. Our guest in the second quarter is the legendary NFL journalist. He's been doing it for a long, long time. It's John Clayton, a longtime colleague of mine. John, how are you? And thanks for being with us. Hey, good to be with you, Rich. Always good to be with you. Yeah, John is a, uh, I mean, he, in 2007, he received the McCann Award, which puts him in the Pro Football Writers Hall of Fame, the writer's wing. And it doesn't get more distinguished than that. So we're really thankful that you're here. So John, you know, you, you live in Seattle, you do a lot of Seahawks coverage. You saw the game on Sunday. What was your takeaway on the Jets? Yeah, one of the things I do on the Seahawks broadcast is that I do the opposing team sidelines. And so it's like I did the Jets sideline, of course, but because of the pandemic, nobody's allowed on the sidelines. And so what I do is I do the game from home. And honestly, in a game like that, where I know that they were down at Lumen Stadium, which used to be CenturyLink, they were there. But I think I, I had a better presence not there than they had being there. And so it was that bad in the sense that, uh, you know, a 40 to 3 loss like that, that really could have been in the 50s were it not for three dropped interceptions. Yeah, three dropped interceptions, and also Pete Carroll took out uh, Russell, you know, in the third quarter. I mean, I mean if, if they really put their foot to the uh, gas pedal, they could have made it a lot worse. I mean, just, you know, Sam Darnold did not have a good game. I'm just wondering, what do you think of Sam, and what do you think his prospects are for the future? 
I mean, honestly, I think what it comes down to is that, uh, you know, they should, again, maybe look to go back to Joe Flacco as lost as he is, because the one thing I think that they don't want to see happen, because, I mean, you can figure right now, it's a two-way race for Trevor Lawrence, and Mark Fields, I think, is going to be right up there. And so you figure both Jacksonville and the Jets will be taking quarterbacks, and if they take quarterbacks, then it's a matter of, okay, who can Sam Darnold go to in a trade? And so what you don't want to have is an injury in the last three weeks. And it's not like uh, you can see a Jet team and a Jet coaching staff would allow players to go back on the field even if they got hurt. I mean, how many games did Sam Darnold miss with a shoulder injury? And, you know, Mika Becton had to go back on the field when he was hurt. So it's like, I think that's not right now what has to be considered. Because say what you want, there's three games remaining. There's nothing on the line except for the draft choice. And it's like, do you really want to uh, – you know, is, is there going to be any improvement with Sam Darnold? And you would tend to think there might not be. Yeah, I mean, they play good teams the rest of the way. I mean, they play the L.A. Rams this week, who have the number one defense in the league. So that could be ugly. Come home to play Cleveland. Cleveland obviously has a lot at stake in every game. And then they go to the Patriots in the last game of the year, which will be a very interesting scene because the Patriots could be eliminated. And so uh, the Jets could be 0-15 at that point. If everything, if Sam stays healthy the rest of the way, what sort of trade value do you think he'd have at the offseason? You know, and again, I'm a, I'm a believer in Sam, right? So I, I like him. And I think, you know, this to me compares to what happened, and this is going back way too far, to what, when Jim Plunkett was on a lot of bad New England Patriot teams. You know, he was getting beaten up, pounded, destroyed, all those different things. And then finally he was able to make it over to the Raiders in Oakland and, you know, took him a year to kind of get his body back together, but he was able to make the change and do well and start taking, getting a winning performances out with the Raiders. And I think Sam can do that because he is a very talented quarterback. I mean, even as bad as some of the, the incompletions were yesterday, I mean, you can see he had great arm strength. He can make some really good throws. But I think right now things are so lost with him that he needs a change of scenery. And if that's going to be the case, you know, I don't know if it's going to be Indianapolis. I don't know if it's going to be San Francisco. I don't know where it's going to be. But one thing I think you can probably guess, there's a good likelihood that he's going to end up in the NFC. And the reason I can say that is because you know, the NFC started this season with 12 quarterbacks making $21 million a year or more. 12. Okay, and that doesn't include Alex Smith, who was a third string quarterback, you know, coming off all the injuries. I'm not including him. But what you can see is that, you know, there's going to be so much change if the cap's going to go down 20 million dollars. They're talking about possible change in San Francisco with Jimmy Garoppolo, possible change now that Matthew Stafford has the rib injury. And you don't know if he's going to make it back for the next two, three weeks. This could be his last. I mean, Drew Brees, is he going to be back in a New Orleans team that's what, 70, 80 million dollars over 100 million dollars over the cap? It's going to be 175 million. So there's going to be a lot of change there, and so I think because you know, he's a younger quarterback, he's going to be on the fifth-year option. Then I mean, I think you know he can at least make a deal somewhere in the NFC. But I think the value is going to be very disappointing because it's not going to be a first. It's not going to be two first. My guess is probably starts with a three and may have to go down a little bit more because you're taking on you know a decent but not powerful cap number. Yeah, those are really interesting points. Um, it's interesting. So the Jets are, with three games to go, they're weighing the bet. You know, it's like a risk-reward situation. You, you want to play him to try to increase his trade value, but at the same time, you don't want to do it at the detriment of resulting in an injury, which hurts his trade value. It's a slippery slope for the Jets. Yeah, and also, too, it's like, okay, so is he going to enhance his battle if he plays a game like he did Sunday in Seattle? 
you know, with only 185 yards of total offense, you know, with 132 passing, you know, 20 yards in the second half, is that going to increase his value? I mean, his value is right now what it is. And again, you know, uh, we'll see, because again, what, what, what may happen too is that you're going to have some of these teams that, uh, you know, allow a coach, a minority coach or a minority general manager prospect to go to another team, there can be a whole bunch of extra third round picks. Like for example, you you might get extra third round compensatory picks in San Francisco, New Orleans with Terry Fontenot and all those. And so now that's why I'm thinking the value may be around a third round choice. Mm, Okay. That's interesting. So if you're the Jets and you get the first pick in the draft, is there any decision involved there? And assuming Trevor is, is in the draft, no, there's no decision. I mean, he's, uh, you know, some people are saying he's the best prospect since John Elway. I just say that he's the best prospect since Andrew Luck, because Luck, I think, in 2012 was, you know, as high as you can get, you know, maybe not as high as John Elway, but, uh, you know, I, I still, I, I just go back to Andrew Luck, and, you know, you would think maybe he could be better than Andrew Luck, but I would have to think right now, it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, it's like, whether you're Jacksonville or whether you're the Jets, whoever gets the first pick, and certainly everything looks to be, what is it now? I think you wrote this uh, on Monday. It was like a 78% chance that they were going to get uh, the first pick in the draft. And, of course, you're right with the closing schedule. I mean, three games against, you know, three teams somewhat, in the case of the Patriots, one of them being a playoff in the race. So I think in the case, you can't figure there's three losses sitting right there. Yeah, you would think, although Jet fans are so fatalistic, they figure the, the team is going to find a way to win a game and cost them, a, uh, cost them the first pick. But it is interesting, though, because if they end up with the second pick, you know, the, the Ohio State kid, Justin Fields, is very highly regarded, probably not on the same level as, as Trevor. What do you do then if, you, if you're the Jets? Do you still go with the quarterback or do you maybe stick it out with Sam for another year? Mm, I think you still go with the quarterback. Because, you know, I don't know, because now what you're looking at is that uh, what's the third best pick in the draft, maybe the Oregon tackle. And it's like, okay, they did well. And, of course, uh, Joe Douglas did well with his first draft, or this, not first draft, but his draft this past year and got a really good left tackle. So I think that uh, you don't go for a tackle. I mean, I don't know if you want to go for a defensive player, but a quarterback, it's the most important position on the team. And if Fields is that good, then uh, which it looks like he can be, you know, then you make that move and go ahead. You made a great point just a minute ago about the salary cap next year, and we all know it's going to go down because of the shortfall in revenue due to the pandemic. <clears throat> Could go down to about 175, but the Jets are going to have, I think, either the first or the second amount of uh, most cap room. Uh, they're going to be around 80 million, possibly more. How much of an advantage could that be in a, in a year where a lot of other teams are really struggling? Uh, it could be a, a, an advantage of keeping the team together, which, of course, that hasn't happened. But I think it's going to be problematic as far as what you can get in free agency. Sure, there's going to be more players available, but the question is going to be, can you get a lot in return? Because you know, take a look at you know what's happened in this free agency period. You go on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in uh, UFA signings this offseason. The highest guy was Byron Jones at $16.5 million. And there was only 13 players on uh, that ended up getting more than uh, thir- uh, $10 million a year on defense. And so, really, are you going to get enough good defensive players that is worth the money that you're going to be investing? And you know, take a look at, for example, Cincinnati. Now, of course, you know all these teams are in the same boat. Uh, the Jets didn't spend a lot in free agency. They were more economical 
which I'm not critical of because, again, Buffalo did that uh, with Brandon Bean's first uh, season getting players, and look how well that's worked out. But, you know, sometimes it's better to get the volume. Washington, you know, they went with more volume, although they didn't get a lot of really good players. But now they're sitting there six and seven. So now what you're looking at is that, you know, Cincinnati, they go out, pay $14 million for Trey Waynes. He's on injured reserve, $13 million a year for a defensive tackle, uh, DJ Reader. And you're sitting there, you know, with already, what, two, two, ten and one. Okay, did that work out? No. And you look at all the other teams, particularly, you know, they tried to spend on free agency and there weren't many hits. I mean, the one hit, I guess you could say, was the New York Giants, $14 million a year on James Bradbury. But a lot of these did not make a change. I mean, what, uh, Vernon Hargrave, defensive tackle, went to Philadelphia, and they're sitting there now at uh, 4, 8, and 1. Yeah, and I think Joe Douglas has made it clear that he's not going to be a huge spender um, he just doesn't believe in, in in building that way. He basically said, "You don't buy a championship." He wants to build through the draft. You know, he's an Ozzie Newsome disciple, and and you know Ozzie very well, John, uh, having covered him for so many years. Um, that's just not the way they they do business usually. No, and I, I, that's understandable. And so it's like, okay, you make some spot moves and things like that. I mean, that's why I really respect what Brandon Bean did in Buffalo because you know, he comes out and, you know, what is it? I think he got uh, six or seven offensive linemen the first year. And, you know, he got two wide receivers, didn't pay big money for John Brown, didn't pay money for Cole Beasley. And, you know, he was able to you know, build a little bit like that. Now they took a step back in the sense that they go from a playoff team to a six-win team. But a lot of that's because they had so many bad cap uh, type salary problems, you know, with contracts that were given up by the previous administration. So you knew it was going to take a step back, but now look where they are right now uh, with the 10 and three record. And so it's like, uh, you know, going for the highest price free agent sometimes just doesn't work. And so and then the question is, okay, what, what is the new coach going to do? He's going to stay three, four, or are they going to go four, three? Because I mean, with the current roster of so many guys that you look in that uh, back seven. I mean, it's like you don't have four linebackers. So it's like, uh, and the the better part of the team is on the defensive line on defense. And so maybe it's better to go to a four, three. Yeah. I think jet fans are going to be uh, shocked by how much, you know, uh, turnover there is on defense next year. There, there's just so many players whose contracts are up other than Quinn and Williams. And, um, He's, you know, Foley, Fadakasi, you know, there really is just not a whole lot on defense. And uh, you make a great point about the Bills. I think the Jet fans are actually jealous of the, what the Bills have done because you look at it, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold came in at the same time in the league. They were drafted only a few spots apart. The Bills did a great job of, of putting talent around him. And look at Josh Allen now. He's, he's an MVP candidate. And Sam Darnold is, is languishing in a, in a, you know, in a sea of me- mediocrity right now. Yeah, mediocrity would be positive compared to what we saw yesterday and what you've seen at different points this season. Uh, but again, I think he just, he just needs a fresh start. And of course, I mean, the one thing is, is that you know, Joe Douglas is building a large group of draft choices and that's, not, uh, that's not a bad idea. Uh, but again, they, they've got to stop what they keep doing as far as letting so many players go. I mean, I just go amazed at watching here's Seattle and they're sitting here with more jet players that have been in the pro bowl than the current Jets roster has on the 53 man roster, because you got Jamal Adams, who looks like he's all set for his fourth pro bowl. You got Jason Myers, you know, Brandon shell, say what you want. I mean, he has had a great season here 
Uh, most, some people think he outperformed uh, George Fant. At least I think that's what the Seahawks think. I don't know if everybody else agrees, but you know, you got him, and then uh, you start to look and see. Okay, Demario Davis down in uh, New Orleans is having a great year. I mean, you look at Robbie uh, Anderson down in uh, Carolina. I mean, they've let so many good players go that not a lot's left. That's why, I mean, you know, you've got $80 million. You better find a way to sign Marcus May because Marcus May is not bad. Yeah, he made a great interception. You, of course, there's Leonard Williams, who's now having a really good year with the Giants that the Jets traded him away. So uh, you're right. The, the talent is scattered across across the league, which is just uh, which is just mind-boggling. So, and clearly the Jets are going to be in the head coaching market in, in about three weeks. We know Adam Gase, you know, won't be retained in all likelihood. Um, what kind of market is this going to be? I mean, you, you're probably going to be looking at what, like somewhere between five and eight teams looking for a head coach? I think it's going to be seven or eight. I mean, yeah. it's interesting uh, yeah, because uh, you saw the move that uh, Doug Peterson, who's clearly on the hot seat, and if he's fired in Philadelphia, I mean, I think he's going to be one of the hottest candidates. I mean, he could be in the mix to go to the Jets because I think he's that good of a coach. And But was interesting, he goes to Jalen Hurts, and it's almost the same situation with Lamar Jackson because all of a sudden they put in Hurts, and I think he was two to three weeks late in making that change, which could mean they, they probably won't make the playoffs if it makes a run. But he had a, had a double triple yesterday, and a double triple is when you pass for over 100 yards. He ran and he ran for 106. And the last time anybody did that, I mean, Michael Vick did it eight times. Uh, the last team that did it for a first time, first start quarterback was Lamar Jackson. And what ended up happening, you know, at that time, John Harbaugh was on the hot seat. I mean, the owner was thinking about firing him, which would have been a big mistake. And so what happened? He went seven out of the last eight games. He comes back and uh, gets the gets into the playoffs, and then you know the next year or so he does well with Lamar Jackson, winning 14 games. He gets the contract extension, which was well deserved. And so you know, can that change the equation and get him out there? But no, there's going to there's going to be seven or eight. I just hope that uh, Doug Peterson gets to keep his job in Philadelphia. Well, I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago, if Peterson does not keep his job, you know, he has a relationship with Joe Douglas. They worked together for yep. three years in Philly. I could see the Jets being interested in him, very interested in him. No question, because, again, he's he's a good coach, but somebody's going to have to take the fall for this year. And you can argue that it would have to go in the personnel department, and I would put it on Howie Roseman. But Howie Roseman, his, his, they're $80 million over the cap. There's no human being in this world. There's no computer. There's no robot in this league that can come out and look at the roster and try in a month or two to figure out how to get $80 million under the cap, $80 million off your cap, particularly knowing how many dead contracts are going to have and how much dead money. So he stays. We'll see about Wentz. Again, a trade may work there, but I and I wouldn't be surprised. Now, again, it, may, it, may, it won't be the Jets, but let's say that Doug Peterson goes uh, to some other place like Jacksonville or someplace. I can see that he wouldn't mind probably bringing Wentz with him in some kind of a trade. <clears throat> Just want to throw out some other uh, possible candidates like these coordinators. Your Eric Bieniemy, of course, is going to be prominent. Arthur Smith, Brian Dayball, Robert Sala. In San Francisco, any of these guys jump out at you, or maybe I'm missing one or two names. Who, who are going to be the hottest candidates? I think Joe Brady would be a hot candidate. You know, he's down in the uh, in Carolina, so I right. think he'll be a hot candidate. Uh, I mean, everybody 
uh, everybody does think Marvin Lewis is going to get a head coaching job, which of course, uh, you know, he, he did so well in Cincinnati, didn't want a playoff game, but then to the Cincinnati Bengals. So I think Marvin Lewis is going to be in the mix. Robert Sallow, of course, again, I know Detroit, uh, the, not, not just fans, but I mean, a lot of the politicians want him because he's a Detroit native and they want him to come back. So I think he's going to be in the mix. Uh, we'll see if Todd Bowles, get some consideration because, you know, say what you want. I mean, I think that he could get a chance to maybe go someplace. So again, I think that, uh, but again, everybody wants offensive players. And if indeed uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to be with the Jets, you figure they want the hottest guy on offense to call plays and try to fix what didn't happen with San yeah, and, and there's also some interesting college guys, too. I mean, Matt Campbell's name at Iowa State, Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, and, of course, the name that just keeps hovering out there. And I know the Jets interviewed him, actually, what, 11, 11 years ago, uh, Jim Harbaugh. What, what kind of, Do you think Harbaugh would – I don't know. What's your take on him? Do you think you make the jump back to the NFL after a – 100%. Yeah, I could see him definitely coming in and uh, getting back into the NFL because, you know, he did the college thing. He went back to Michigan and all that stuff. I mean, the thing with, Fitz, with Fitzgerald or the, the Northwestern coach is a lot of people think that the job that he would prefer if it opens up, which I think it will, that would be Chicago because I think that uh, that's the place that he would probably like to go. But again, it's like, uh, you know, there, I, there's, and that's the one thing, you know, college coaches who have their job, we saw with Cliff Kingsbury, he didn't have a job and he went to Arizona. Jim Harbaugh is likely not to have his job. And so he can do it, but you get so much more security in college. But again, you still have a couple coaches. We saw with Matt Rule. I think that the Northwestern coach could be in there too. So, uh, but again, I think it has to be an offensive guy. Yeah, because you're like, in all likelihood, you'll be drafting a quarterback for, uh, for sure. Uh, sorry, John, I'm losing my voice here. This is what happens when you you cover the Jets for so long. You, you things start going on you. Um, well, it's it's good to see you, you survive. Don't to, your, you don't want to say the word choke now, do you? It's like, <laughs> excuse me. You don't want to say the word choke right now. It's like uh, if you're kind of choking on coughing and things like that, and talking yeah. jets. So. Well, it's good to see that you survived your Jet experience yesterday from watching uh, from watching the full game of the Jets because I know that could be tough on the eyes. It is tough on the eyes. I mean, for, fortunately, uh, you, know, you, you get to be on radio, and so you're not looking at everything. I mean, particularly when you're trying to search down the injuries and stuff like that. Well, uh, I'm glad you survived it. And thanks. Hey, John, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate the insights on the candidates and the Jets and free agency. Always a pleasure to have you. Really appreciate it. Okay, Rich, thanks. It's mail time, our weekly Q&A segment, the third quarter. And we're going to start with at Big Dog Z 1318. After year three, can you explain what type of offense the gay scheme is supposed to be? You know, that is a really good question because and if the fact that we're asking that question after year three is probably not a good sign. But, you know, a lot of bunch formations, a lot of pick routes. That's a big part of the offense. Very productive for the slot receiver. Not so productive for tight ends. It's a static offense. Maybe you don't see a lot of motion. It's an outside zone running scheme. You're not going to see a lot of misdirection like the team like the 49ers use. And really, 
in its purest form, it's supposed to be a no-huddle offense, and yet, curiously, the Jets really don't do a lot of no-huddle. They should do more up-tempo stuff, but that, in essence, is the Gase offense, and it's really not anything that we can label like a West Coast offense. It's just kind of it's just kind of there. Next question at Boy Green Twenty Five: Is there any hope for promising members of the coaching staff to stick around? And he mentions Brant Boyer, Denard Wilson, and Heinz Ward. Uh, that is uh, a boy that is uh, totally dependent on who the next head coach is. The way things work is, if a coach is still under contract, he'll be considered for a place on the new staff. I like the guys you just mentioned. I think Brad Boyer is excellent on special teams. Deron Wilson is an outstanding secondary coach, and I do think he has a bright future in coaching. And Heinz Ward is, you know, I, I understand he's a pretty good coach. I don't know much about him. He's really more an assistant position coach at this point. But, uh, yeah, that'll be up to whoever the next coach might be. Next one from at the Nature Boy One. Why is Frank Gore getting major minutes and carries? I don't understand this. I mean, a few weeks ago, I could understand it. You know that you know Gore. Uh, the kids maybe weren't ready yet, but but now I I just shake my head. I mean, Frank Gore is averaging three point six yards per carry. He's thirty seven years old. Three point six per carry ranks forty fourth out of 49 qualified runners in the NFL. And two weeks ago, you see Ty Johnson rush for a career high 104 yards against the Raiders. Not only a career high, but the most ever under Adam Gase with the Jets. So you would think he'd get a larger share of the pie this week against the Seahawks. But no, so Gore comes back from his concussion and... You know, they pretty much split it 50-50. And I, I just don't get it. You know, Frank Gore's 37. He's not part of the future. They should be using the younger players. And believe it or not, Gore has led the team and led or tied the team in lead, most carries in every game since they cut Le'Veon Bell. Every game except one against the Raiders when he had that concussion in the first quarter. That's just really hard to believe. Now, Gase did indicate on Monday that maybe things will change now that LaMichael P. Ryan is getting close to coming back. But I'll believe it when I see it. He's got an obsession with Gore, and I think you're going to see Gore running the rest of the way, and that's too bad. Next one, at McGlynn55, because I can't th think anymore about this horrible team. You go, I just want to say I love your podcast, especially the fourth quarter stories. Thank you, McGlynn. I appreciate that. Any additional stories uh, that you're saving for a book? And when you consider, when do you think you might publish anything like that? Well, I got a ton of stories, McGlynn. And yes, hopefully they will be saved for the book. And I have no idea when that would be, but hopefully someday. At Pizza IA, at C Pizza IA, uh, which direction do you think they might go for a head coach? And will Joe Douglas play a major role? In picking the coach, or will they go outside the organization for help? I think they will keep it in-house. I don't think they're going to hire one of those consulting firms. Uh, why Why should they? You have a GM and Joe Douglas who's been around the league for a long, long time. He knows the people in the league. He should be your major resource. They should lean heavily on him. The question I have is how much, if any, role Woody Johnson 
will be playing in the coaching search. We all know that his term is ending in the next few weeks as the uh, ambassador to the United Kingdom. So that's the question I have, and I, I don't have an answer for you right now, but I'd like to know how involved Woody Johnson will be. At Joe Brow VM, did the Jets undervalue Leonard Williams prior to his trade to the Giants? And, uh, you know, he's as, as Joe points out, he's only missed one game in his career, and he has eight and a half sacks this year. Uh, Joe, I don't think they undervalued him. Uh, look, I like that trade at the time, so I'm not going to second-guess him just because Leonard's having a really good year. He's only 26 years old. And good for Leonard. I'm really happy for him. He's a good guy. I uh, was sorry to see him go, but the Jets got good value on that trade. It was a three and a five, which is what the going rate was at the time. They had a lot of money invested in Quinn and Williams, and it was going to be really, really hard for them to re-sign Leonard with all that money invested in Quinn and Williams. So I think it was the right call at the time. This is just a classic case of a player who's under a new coaching staff and is thriving. So good for Leonard. He's going to make a ton of money because he's only 26 and he's hitting free agency. Now, here's a familiar name with a question at Guarin Camargo. And this is a former student of mine at Syracuse Newhouse who knows a lot about the NFL and is writing in and saying on his Move the Sticks podcast, Daniel Jeremiah said, Super Bowl contenders usually consist of an established quarterback, three playmakers on offense, three elite offensive linemen, and three elite defenders on the second and third level. How far are the Jets from building something like that? Well, let's see here. You just named uh, four, seven, ten. You just named ten players that you need to be a Super Bowl contender. I would say the Jets, based on this formula, have one, maybe two. And the one is a potentially elite offensive lineman in Makai Becton, maybe a playmaker in Denzel Mims, uh, we've seen good things. I'm not ready to anoint him just yet. As for, we don't know, there's no quarterback yet. We know that. And then the, the three elite defenders on the second and third level, they don't have one on the second and third level. They have Quinn and Williams on the first level. So, yeah, they need like eight or nine players to fill DJ's formula for a Super Bowl contender. Next one, at M. Garth 55. Now, I thought about whether to include this question, and I decided to go with it. Can you give us fans a brief synopsis of the Manish Mehta situation? And the only reason I'm mentioning is it became a, a large news story last week. In fact, the Washington Post did a big story on it. And so, look, I could probably talk for an hour on it because there are so many layers to this story, and a lot of it hasn't even come out in public. I'll just say this you never want to see a person lose their job. Those jobs are too hard to come by in this business. And that's unfortunate that it came to that. But I think there was a lot of unacceptable behavior that uh, that I'm glad came to light. And really, that's all I want to say about that. I can appreciate the question because uh, it did become kind of a viral thing last week. It really took off. So uh, I, I think it's best for all parties to move on. And we'll be back with the fourth quarter right after this. And we're going to wrap up this week's show with a look ahead 
to the Pro Bowl announcements. They'll be coming out any day. Uh, I think early next week, they're going to announce the rosters. Of course, there's no Pro Bowl game this year, but they are still going through the formality of announcing rosters. The voting's been underway. I don't think the Jets are going to, well, I don't want to say that. I mean, Mekhi Becton is you know, doing very well in the fan voting, but that's not the uh, only criteria. So maybe Becton gets in, maybe Quinn and Williams. I'm not so sure, but this is going to be a tough night for Jet fans. And here's why. You could see several players, ex-Jets around the league, named to the game. And there's nothing worse than seeing good players that you had go elsewhere and do really well. Listen to some of these names. Robbie Anderson has 996 receiving yards for the Panthers. I think he's got an outside chance to make the Pro Bowl. Demario Davis middle linebacker for the Saints. He was an all-pro last year, and he's playing really well again. I think he'll make the Pro Bowl. Leonard Williams, we talked about him a minute ago. Eight and a half sacks for the Giants. I think he's got a shot at the Pro Bowl. Leonard Willi- uh, Sheldon Richards is having a good year. I don't think it's a Pro Bowl year, but worth noting, good year. Jets will see him uh, next week when they face the Browns. Jamal Adams, we've talked so much about him the last couple of weeks. Eight and a half sacks, a record for DBs. He will be in the Pro Bowl again, this time in the NFC. Andre Roberts having another great year as a kick returner for the Bills. I think he'll make the Pro Bowl, maybe even all pro. Jason Myers for the Seahawks, their kicker. He's 18 for 18 in field goals. He's got a really good shot at the Pro Bowl. Even Nick Folk's not going to make the Pro Bowl for the Patriots, but he's been clutch for them this year. He's hit a couple of game winners. And so this is really tough. I mean, look at Sunday in Seattle. The Seahawks had more ex-Jets in the Pro Bowl meaning Adams and Myers, than the Jets had on their own roster. The Jets only have one player on their roster who's ever been named to a Pro Bowl, and that's Frank Gore. And we've already made our feelings known about him. So imagine if the Jets had all those guys where they'd be right now. They wouldn't be 0-13. So when the Pro Bowl rosters come out, the Jets are going to get a lot of well-deserved ridicule for all the players that they gave traded or gave away or didn't want. And that's tough. That's really tough. Want to thank this week's guest, the professor, John Clayton, for stopping by. Thanks to producer Jeff Scopin. Please rate and subscribe. Let us know what you think about Flight Deck. Really appreciate your input. You can find us on any of the ESPN platforms or on Apple, Spotify, or Google Play. Enjoy the game this week. Another West Coast trip for the Jets. Going to be a tough one here. I sense that it might be similar to last week's game. The Rams are outstanding. Their defense is top shelf. Going to be tough for the Jets. Enjoy the game. Try to anyway. And we'll see you next week on Flight Deck.